Hello and welcome to another episode of What Sports. This is your producer, host, the whole kid in Kabuto, Mike Jones here with you. And my, oh my, what city is having a better return to sports than Denver, Colorado? Um, you're talking about one of the hottest teams in Major League Baseball. A little bit of a hiccup yesterday, but with the Colorado Rockies. You're talking about a Colorado Avalanche team that all but clinched the number one seed out west with another win, yes, dominant win yesterday. And you're talking about a team with the Denver Nuggets who, after stumbling a little bit out of the gate in the seeding games, has looked real nice in the last couple of games, in particularly with the emergence of another potential star for them. I mean, I, who? Boston? Uh, no, the Bruins have looked bad, <laughs> comparatively speaking, in the NHL. I mean, they're 0-2 in their round-robin games. L.A.? The Dodgers are playing really well. The, the Lakers and the Clippers, yeah, they're, they're, they're both doing really well in the NBA. The Kings, though, nowhere to be seen when you're talking about the qualifying round in the NHL. So it is a beautiful time to be a Colorado sports fan, and I am loving it. You know what, let's get started off talking about those Denver Nuggets. In their first game... As in the seeding tournament here, the Denver Nuggets ended up falling to the Miami Heat. Uh, honestly, down at this point, what I was still considered three starters Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Will Barton. None of them played in this game, and it showed. Um, you're talking about a team that didn't necessarily look like they were one cohesive unit out there on the court. I talked before a bit about the Nuggets having potentially an advantage because of the cohesion of this team, uh, because of how much experience these players have together. But when you're talking about you're missing three of your five starters for the last couple seasons, really, that throws a huge monkey wrench into the chemistry that you have built as a team. So you have a lot of guys playing out there together that haven't necessarily logged a ton of real live game action together. Michael Porter Jr. ended up finding himself in a starting role and looked um, not fabulous. I mean, 11 points, 3 assists, and only 1 board for Michael Porter Jr. in this game. Even Nikola Jokic did not look stellar. He he was good. I mean, threw up 19 points, 6 assists, 7 boards. A good all-around game. But he also had 3 turnovers in this. And you're talking about having Monte Morris start. And... Monte Morris having a truly un-Monte type of game with three turnovers to just five assists. This is a guy who set records in the NCAA for his assist-to-turnover ratio, uh, was 
leading the NBA last season in assist to turnover ratio. Uh, so that was really an un-Monte type of game. Uh, Bull Bull logging 11 minutes in that game. Just 5 points, uh, 4 rebounds, and an assist. His assist, though, was a beauty. Good enough even to get the Nuggets on national highlights. And that's that's saying some, because as good as the Nuggets are, national uh, pundits don't really like to talk Denver Nuggets basketball. So we fall in this game 125-105, to 105, but we don't look back. We don't let that get us down. Uh, end up taking on the Oklahoma City Thunder Monday in a game that was tightly contested, ended up going into overtime. Uh, the OKC led for a lot of this game, including a huge chunk of the fourth quarter, and but the Nuggets just would not go away. The biggest storyline out of this game, as a, you know, the win, obviously huge, but what everybody was talking about after this was the emergence of Michael Porter Jr. He comes out there, drops 37 in this game. Got out to a hot start right out of the gate. Uh, you're talking about somebody who went 4 for 6 from beyond the arc. 66% from deep range. A kid who's nearly six foot eleven with that kind of touch from outside, and you could just tell he started playing with confidence in this game, and that's that is huge for a young player. Not, I'm not necessarily going to sit here and try to say that Michael Board Jr. had any sort of confidence crisis at any point, but you go from being the best player on the court. Anytime you take the court for the first 18, 19 years of your life to going on to a team where you're not the best player on the court, you're not even the best player on your team, and you're possibly not even the second best player on your team. That is a shock to the system if you're... If you're Michael Porter Jr., and it'd be impossible for it not to be. I would be shocked if a player like MPJ came into that situation and did not struggle a little right out of the gate, uh, especially coming off of back surgery, especially coming off with all the doubt thrown on him from outside influences. But then you come in, in your first real action, real consistent action here, starting two consecutive games, and then to drop 37 points on a playoff team in OKC, in a environment where technically these games count towards the regular season, but there's a little more intensity to these games because they mean just a little bit more than the normal regular season. When you're talking about these seeding games, when you're talking about playing teams that have so much more on the line in, with an association that, you know, for lack of a better term, kind of trimmed 
trim the fat. You know, only the best teams have made it this far. The the cellar dwellers, the teams that were, you know, scheduled wins for pretty much anybody else, any other team in in the league, those teams are not there. They're not there for your to go out to, you know, get yourself right type of games. And Michael Porter Jr. comes out, plays 43 minutes. Now, that is the most minutes of anybody on on the Nuggets. Dropped 37 points to go with 12 rebounds. And I've said it I've said it in previous shows. If this kid can play consistently, if he gets, you know, 30 minutes, 30 plus minutes a game, he's almost guaranteed to get a double double every time he starts a game. And that is another thing that I definitely noticed in this game and in the game yesterday. He's not just playing with a little more confidence and a little more uh, freedom out there, but he's playing a lot more aggressively. He's finally starting, it appears, to use his height to his advantage. He's starting to realize that if he crashes the boards every time, he's going to be able to come out with a rebound more often than not. I mean, and also moving without the ball in his hands, which is huge when you're playing alongside Nikola Jokic. To be able to play and move without necessarily having to have the ball in your hands. And he's he started to take advantage of that. And the chemistry is starting to build there with Michael Porter Jr. and Nikola Jokic. That combination is huge and can be nearly impossible to guard for any other team. You're talking about a 6'10", 6'11", sharpshooter that is athletic paired with a 7-foot center that has as good a vision and as good of a passer as anybody in the league. You put those two together, I don't know who is able to stop that on a consistent basis. Maybe, maybe you're talking about the Clippers, but that that's 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 a maybe. I mean, I'm getting a little overhyped on this. I I I realize it, but just the pure potential that that combination has is just mind-boggling. So he he gets a double-double here. 37 points, 12 rebounds, very efficient shooting. 12 of 16 overall. 12 of 16. He took 16 shots to get to 37 points. That is extremely efficient basketball. That is the, uh, the, the, the opposite of what you see coming out of some other, um, other places where, you know, some players just chuck up a bunch of shots, put up a good stat line, but the efficiency is just not really there. Uh, Jokic really 
turn things up in the late in the fourth and especially in overtime. He ended with a 30 point triple double, 30 points, 12 assists and or sorry, 10 assists, 12 rebounds. So overall, I'd have to probably say Jokic was the player of the game for the Nuggets even though all the headlines are about MPJ and rightfully so. That is a huge come out game for Porter there. Another player very important, especially with Murray sitting out. Uh, by the way, in this game, no Murray, no Harris, no Barton still. But Monte Morris played 38 minutes, put up 17 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds. But more importantly, 0 turnovers. Monte getting back to his style of play and, and playing to his strengths and to his ability which is huge, obviously, for the Nuggets, as long as Murray still isn't playing. Now, he's he was questionable for this last game. Signs are pointing to him maybe being able to play um, here in the next game or two, maybe not necessarily tonight against the Trailblazers, but he is the closest to returning out of them. But even with Murray, Monte is going to play a significant role in the playoffs. So it's very nice to be able to see him kind of get back to Monte Ball. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, Bobo, his minutes dropped significantly. He only played three minutes in this one. Uh, one for two from the floor, but that one, he's one for one from beyond the arc there. His... It'll be interesting to see what happens tonight in particular because um, I know I haven't gotten to the Spurs game yet, but spoiler alert, Bowl Bowl did not play. Uh, but with it being the second night of a back-to-back -to -back tonight, uh, there's the thought potentially maybe Michael Malone was keeping Bowl Bowl uh, off the court maybe last night and tonight maybe he'll see... Um, significant action uh, just because it's the one and only back-to-back -back for the Nuggets uh, and you're go talking about playing a lot taller of a team in the Trailblazers tonight than you were with the Spurs so the added length and the um, not <laughs> and not playing CP3 on the other side that kind of beat Bobo up on a couple of ISO situations there. Uh, it's it's just a better Bobo game against the Trailblazers than it was against the Spurs. A better matchup for him. So we will see tonight. But I digress. And then to last night against the San Antonio Spurs, the Denver Nuggets really were in control for the vast majority of this game. I uh, lost it a little bit in the third quarter, but you, as a Nuggets fan, you you just knew that had that that was the Spurs kind of leaving it all out there on the court. I at least was not super worried. I thought the Nuggets were going to come back, especially considering they 
really were in control for much of this game. Another big night for Michael Porter Jr., which quieted a lot of doubters. A lot of um, a lot of talk was, you know, yes, he had this huge game, but is he going to be able to back it up on with another big performance and have two consecutive games where he played great? And he did. He put up another 30-point game. 30 points in this one and 15 rebounds again showing that you give him the minutes he is almost guaranteed to get a double double a lot like Jokic except with Jokic you're not sure if that double double is going to be coming from points and rebounds points and assists or assists and rebounds like Jokic any given night can give you a double double in either way or triple double uh, his double-double actually against the San Antonio Spurs was in points and assists. His line, 25 points, 11 assists, and only 4 rebounds. Uh, probably partially because uh, MPJ was just pulling down everything. In another game for Monte Morris where he had zero, zero turnovers. And just protecting the ball is so big for this Denver Nuggets team. Uh, they're not a team that goes up and down the court with great urgency. They're a, one of the slower-paced teams in the association. So when you do have possession, you have to be able to capitalize on it. You can't have wasted possessions, possessions that end in turnovers. So being able to play that efficient ball which is what Monte Morris, that, that, that's his staple. That is how he gets minutes in the NBA. That, that's why he, for my money, is the best backup point guard in the entire association. He could probably start on a handful of teams in the NBA because he's just that high of an IQ player out there on the court. So 35 minutes, he also put up 19 points. Um, you're looking at the bench. The biggest bench guy was definitely Jeremy Grant. He kind of broke himself out of a bit of a rut he has been in. Uh, dropped 22 points in this game. Only two boards, though. Uh, not a ton of ton of action. Um, for Paul Millsap in this game, Paul Millsap, seven points, one assist, seven rebounds. Another guy off the bench, though, that definitely had a good game. Uh, you're talking about Mason Plumley. In his 15 minutes, he put up four points, two for two on his field goals. Uh, six assists and six rebounds. Really kind of playing um, Jokic-esque ball in this game uh and which is a huge plus when you don't have to drastically change the way your team operates out there when your backup is in uh if you obviously Plumlee is not as good as Jokic he, he doesn't have as good a court vision he's not as good of a passer he's most definitely not as good of a shooter but if you can play 
the same style of ball and not have a huge drop-off as far as being able to distribute from your center position, which is a unique way to play when you're talking about the Nuggets. That is huge going forward. Murray, Barton, Harris. None of them played it. Um, not a huge surprise necessarily. I doubt any of them are going to play tonight. I would imagine outside of maybe, like I said, Bobol getting some more action in a more favorable matchup for him. Outside of that, I don't see the minutes differentiating a whole lot. Uh, maybe Paul Millsap gets a little more minutes and Jeremy Grant gets a little less. But I don't know if you're Michael Malone. Do you really want to take minutes away from Jeremy Grant when he's had the best game he's had since the return, since the restart? But this does bring up an interesting conversation uh, when those guys come back. I said earlier um, that for that first game, I would say that we were without three starters. After these last couple of games, same three guys are out, but I'd say we were without two starters. Because Michael Porter Jr. is a game changer for this team. I never thought that, you know, Denver should be favored in any games, in, in, in a series against either of the L.A. teams, and I probably still wouldn't say they'd be favored. But you add MPJ playing the way that he's been playing these last couple of games, and that X factor in the shooting, and that X factor in the length he provides... And you stand a lot better of a shot with him on the court than you do with him with without him on the court. He is that type of piece that can take Denver to the next level. I don't know that it's necessarily going to be this season, but you ride with MPJ as long as he is healthy. He is your starting small forward from this point out if you're the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray and MPJ, which one's the second best player on this team, is now legitimately in question. I'd still lean towards Jamal Murray, but if MPJ can consistently play like he has the past couple games, I mean, obviously, if he's dropping 30 points a game, that is ridiculous. But if he can consistently be putting up where he is a, you know, 20, 25 point a game double double type of guy it's hard to say that mpj might not be even surpassing jamal murray for second best player on this team but jamal murray still starts now at the at the shooting guard is where you have the question though gary harris and his defense or will barton and his offense his, his ability to get a bucket personally i would go with gary harris uh, that defense, especially when you're talking about how Michael Malone likes to have games played, I think you got to go with Gary Harris out there. Uh, he obviously has not had the best of seasons. Uh, not Hasn't played the best ball since he got his contract, really. 
but you still roll with Gary Harris. Some of the reason, in my opinion, that Gary Harris has stepped back a little bit from what he was, you know, a couple seasons ago, has been more of the emergence of Jamal Murray when he's out there on the court as that back cutter. Uh, Gary Harris has taken a back seat on that a little bit, and that is okay. Jamal Murray, even Gary Harris at his best, Jamal Murray is a better scorer than Gary Harris. Where, Where Gary gives you the best and where he's most important to you and most valuable on the court for you is on the defensive end of the court. And that's something you just can't really replace. Outside of maybe Torrey Craig, there's not an on-the-ball defender nearly as good as Gary Harris. And having Will Barton on the bench for you definitely adds a little more scoring punch to that bench unit. I'm not a huge Will Barton fan, um, but he can score buckets. And then you're talking about a second unit with Morris, with Barton, with Jeremy Grant, and with Plumley, And then probably Torrey Craig will get minutes when you talk about the playoffs. Um, and unfortunately, I don't know if Bo Bowl really will have a role come actual playoff time but you're regardless that second unit that's that's an that's a nice second unit that you can go into games with confidence that when your when your bench unit comes on it's not going to be a huge letdown you're not going to be you know putting your bench unit in when you're up seven and then your starters come back in and you're down eight sort of deal so, the Denver Nuggets, 2-1 and one so far in this return to sports, uh, in this restart, if you will. They're currently sitting a half game back of the LA Clippers with a two-game lead over the Utah Jazz. So, they're sitting relatively comfortable above the Jazz for that, four, for that three seed. But that two seed is still 100% within reach it's just going to be that much bigger when the Clippers and the Nuggets end up facing off here in a few in about a week really uh the they we play the Clippers next Wednesday uh and with the Lakers having secured the number one seed in the west they're not playing for a whole lot uh, so when we play the Lakers a couple days before that, it'll be very interesting to see what they put out on the court. The Lakers just got whooped uh, last night, put up, I believe it was 85 points in their game. Uh, and it, I can't, even though LeBron and Anthony Davis played a healthy amount of minutes, there's no way that I can look at that and logically say that the Lakers put forth their best foot and got beat that bad and put up that few points. So it's all in front of them for your Denver Nuggets. You know what? who else has everything in front of them? And that's the Colorado Avalanche. 2-0 in their round-robin games. Uh, almost completely clinched up that number one seed in the West, which, again, 
I will say, is huge when you're talking about an ever-changing, ever-reseeding after every round. That number one seed is big time. Colorado, in their first game, took on St. Louis. St. Louis got out to a one nothing start in that game. Blues got off to one nothing start uh, in the first period. Really, nothing. When the Blues got the lead, really crunched down defensively, made it, you know, a very physical game. Um, not a lot of open ice to just go through, and nothing happened in the second period. No goal scored. In that third period, Ryan Graves was able to get a wrister in, tying the game about five and a half minutes into the third period. So we have a tie game here. Both teams know that that next goal that scored could very well be the game winner. The intensity is just boiling. And we get down... Five minutes left to go, still tied. Three minutes left to go, still tied. Two minutes, still tied. One minute, still tied. Get down there. 30 seconds left. Uh, There was actually a penalty taken by St. Louis. It put the Avs on the power play for about the last minute and a half, if memory is, serves me correct. About a minute and a half of power play to end regulation and, you know, carry over in overtime if need be. And St. Louis, very good defensively. Able to keep Colorado from finding the back of the net for the majority of this power play. And we're getting down to five seconds left to go. And we still are tied. And it's looking like we're going into overtime. And a shot gets put off onto net. A shot by uh, by Landeskog, I believe. And it reflects off the Blues unable to cover it up. It comes out. And Kadri, oh my goodness, Kadri... In just the right place at the last possible moment. I'd say the right time. And it was the right time. But it was damn close to not being the right time. Is able to find the back of the net with not not one second left. But .1 second left to go in this game. .1 second. Kadri buries it. And Colorado wins. Now they, they... are celebrating, everybody's celebrating, everybody is hyped, they're going, and this game, I'm at work during this, so that's why some of my times are a little off, I apologize for that, but I look up and I see that goal, I'm able to actually see that goal happen on TV, and I'm pretty sure I scared some people around me, because I was pumped they go and they're reviewing it and you're talking about 
scoring a goal with 0.1 second, you can't get much closer than that. That might be the latest goal in the history of the NHL. And they're going through these replays, and it's so hard to tell. That was just so nerve-wracking, watching them go through those replays. And they call it good goal, avalanche beat St. Louis. Probably the biggest test for them, the biggest obstacle between them and that number one seed, biggest obstacle for them in the West in general, St. Louis, the defending Stanley Cup champions. And Colorado was able to come out of it with a victory at the last possible millisecond. Oh my goodness. Philip Grubauer, real nice in this game. Um, blocking, obviously, all but one shot. 31 out of 32 he saved. Including every single even strength shot. So it was only on a power play St. Louis was able to get one by him. Then you take that and you roll it into yesterday against the Dallas Stars. Uh, talked a little bit about this because on the season against the Dallas Stars, the Avalanche were 0-4. Colorado is a better team than the Stars. I, you could ask almost anybody that watches hockey, and they should be able to tell, tell you that the Avalanche greater than, not equal to, the Dallas Stars. Yet, for some reason, the Stars had their number so far this season. So this was a huge game for Colorado. If for nothing else, just that mental hurdle of being like, okay, we can beat the Stars. There's not some sort of jinx on this that make them unbeatable for us. And beat them, they did. They dominated basically from the opening puck drop. Kale McCarr buries one just over three minutes into the game. A power play goal, just a slapper from the point, finds the back of the net. And then, again, in the first period, Donskoy scores for the Colorado Avalanche. We're up 2-0. Second period, Nemetskov, 3-0 Avalanche. That's right, 3-0. And then in the third period, Burakovsky, another power play goal, 4-0 Avalanche. And that was the final score. 4-0. The Avalanche just dominated the Dallas Stars. Any sort of bad juju that was going on there, completely exercised those. Outshot Dallas 40-27 to in this. Only had four penalty minutes in this game. And of course, naturally, Francis with a 27-save shutout. Which brings up an interesting conversation. Because there's one game left 
in the round robin for the Avalanche. The Vegas Knights, um, the least intriguing, I guess, if I if I had to say so, of the round robin game, round robin games, but the the, the Knights are the only team that um, that stand between the Avalanche and that number one seed. Uh, they beat the Knights. They get the number one. It's completely within the hands of the Avalanche. But who do you go with between the pipes? Because you're talking about Grubauer gave up one goal. One goal against the St. Louis Blues. So by not a, any stretch of the imagination did he have a bad game. But then you have Francis that gave up no goals. Had a shutout game. As good as Grubauer was last year for the Avalanche in the playoffs. And Grubauer had a good season this year. Only a 2-6-3 goals allowed average. You know, a 9-16 save percentage, not bad. 18 wins. Francis had a better season. A 2.41 goals allowed average, a 9.23 save percentage, and 21 wins on the season. Now, you look at it with Grubauer getting the start against the Blues, you know, getting that first start, logic would say that Grubauer had the edge on Francis. But coming off of a shutout victory, and looking back on the fact that, you know, Francis did have the better season. I don't know how you can go back to Grubauer for this game against the Knights. Um, you you got to ride Francis as long as you can. And you know, if he if you play him against Golden Knights and he has a bad game, you go, sure go back to Grubauer. And that's you know. The, the Avalanche are in a good position here. They have two guys that I would feel good and they should feel good about putting between the pipes. It's just you can only put one there. And the numbers say Francis. The only thing really that I guess I'd say Grubauer has going for him is he he's under contract longer. The, the Avalanche have more invested in him. But... Paul, he is the hot glove right now. And you just got to ride that, in my opinion. The Avalanche, one game away from taking a hold and taking that number one seed in a reseeding tournament format. That is that is just huge. Uh, you look at some of the other qualifying... Um, qualifying tournament qualifiers the Carolina Hurricanes swept the New York Rangers that series is already over out west you're talking about the Chicago Blackhawks team that has a 2-1 lead over Edmonton and if Chicago was to win this series they would most likely be the team that the Avalanche play. Well, not most likely. They would be the team that the Avalanche play because they are the absolute lowest possible seed remaining. 
the Arizona Coyotes have a 2-1 lead over the Predators. Another, you know, lower seed having the advantage there. It is split between Vancouver and Minnesota. And Calgary has a 2-1 lead over Winnipeg. But really, it's most likely if Chicago doesn't blow their 2-1 lead, if they can win one out of the final two games, uh, Chicago will be the team that the Avalanche play. Man, I am just so pumped about this return to sports. It could not be going better, really, for Colorado sports fans. And that includes the Colorado Rockies. They had a bit of a um, stumble last night against the San Francisco Giants, losing 4-3 to in that one. But they are still leading the National League West. Uh, they have the second, or I'm sorry, technically the third best win percentage in the entire National League, if you include Miami, who's only played six games so far. They're technically tied with the Dodgers, but I count them as ahead because they've played less games. The Colorado Rockies, off to a surprising start to most people, and a lot of that has to do with their pitching. The Rockies, pitching-wise, they have the 7th best ERA in all of the majors. A 303 ERA. You partner a 303 ERA with a 266 batting average, which is good for second best in all the majors. And that's just a recipe for success. The Colorado Rockies are doing this with not just good pitching, but great pitching. Kyle Freeland is continuing his bounce back year. He is 2-0 with a 1.5 ERA. Marquez, 1.89 ERA. Sensatella, only a 2.45 ERA. And John Gray, unfortunately, partially due to last night's game, is boasting the Highest out of their starting rotation with a 3.31 ERA. Still not a horrible ERA. And you couple that with the fact that... Put that with a third best whip in the entire majors. A 1.04 whip. Barely over one base runner per inning against the Colorado Rockies. That is just impressive. Then on the flip side of things, the the Rockies got off to a slow start offensively, in particular Nolan Arenado. Now against the Giants, he has three consecutive games with a home run, so it's clearly pointing to a uh, resurgence by Nolan. But then you have Charlie Blackman with a 378 batting average. Daniel Murphy playing like what was anticipated when the Rockies went out and signed him, batting 303. 
Another big offseason acquisition, if you will, Matt Kemp playing well in doing what he was asked to do, brought in more or less to be a designated hitter. Two home runs on the season. Uh, Trevor Story still pacing the Rockies with four home runs, as he should be. But you bring in Matt Kemp, he gets up the two, uh, the two home runs, and he's second on the team with eight RBIs, right behind Charlie Blackman, who's leading the team with 12. This is a team that is starting to find their stride, starting to find their rhythm offensively. And they were already just doing phenomenal things on the defensive side, in particularly pitching. You have Marquez looking like he's back in his groove. And you have Freeland, who had a bad season last year, really looking like the pitcher that was a Cy Young contender just two seasons ago. And my, oh my, you're talking about a Colorado Rockies team that is dangerous in the National League. And it will be a huge when we end up having a series against the Dodgers because the Rockies are putting themselves in position where they could win this National League West. Now, they play the Giants tonight. Um, it was a four-game series, so technically, you know, they could end up not winning this series if they were to lose today. Actually, the game's in just about an hour from this recording. So, a little something on the line to continue having no losing, no losing series on the season. And San Francisco is a team that you should beat. They're they're not a very good baseball team. It's very unfortunate that they ended up losing last night after a 2-1 to lead. Really, that three-run home run by Belt there in the fourth inning was just really unfortunate. One bad pitch. And really, okay, really, if you look at it, it was kind of a confluence of poor circumstances. Because not only that, but you had two fielding errors in this game. Uh, Trevor Story, who almost, who is one of the best defensive shortstops in the game, with a fielding error. So it, it's not something that I would deem likely to repeat itself. And then after the game today against the Giants, have a three-game series against Seattle a bottom dweller in the American League. Very young team, so don't overlook them entirely because there's potential there. But it is another team that the Rockies should beat and should beat convincingly. You follow that up with a three-game series against Arizona, who is an, a team... Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I'm looking at the schedule, and... Until we play Houston, which, side note on Houston, um, you kind of can see the difference it makes between having, you know, knowing what pitch is coming and not knowing what pitch is coming. You have Jose Altuve with a 146 batting average. 
Springer, a 195 batting average. Bregman with a 213 batting average. Yeah. Uh-huh. That World Series really should count for you, says nobody. But I digress. The the Astros are still a good team. They're nowhere near as good as they were when they were cheating for obvious reasons. But it's still a good team. But looking at the schedule for the Rockies, until they play Houston on the 17th, there's a lot of very winnable games ahead of them. Seattle, Arizona, Texas. These are all teams that, especially the way the Rockies are playing, are all teams they should beat. Putting them in excellent position going into, you know, four games against Houston and then the Dodgers. The, that series against the Dodgers on the 21st, definitely going to have to keep my eyes on that one there. So I will ask the question again, what city is having a better return to sports than Denver, Colorado? The correct answer is nobody. All right. I'm Mike Jones. That's going to do it for this episode of What Sports. Don't forget to give it a like, give it a follow, whether you're following it on Podbean, Apple, or Google Play. You know, you can give me a follow on Twitter or Instagram at AKCoachJones. All the support is greatly appreciated. And I hope you are re- enjoying this return to sports nearly as much as I am. Because I'm going to go ahead and say there's no way you're enjoying it more than me. Until next time, stay smiling.